All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. It is your host, Pizza Mind, here. And everyone this month is thinking about smart contract platforms that are just dominating the news. But as usual, while everyone's running towards that pile of gold over there, we're looking in another direction, trying to find the untapped next big element. And potentially that next big thing is a JavaScript native smart contract platform, kind of like Ethereum, called Agoric. And we're joined today by Dean Tribble, the CEO and veteran OG cyberpunk. How you doing, Dean? Welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. And it's great to have you here. You've got a very impressive resume. I can't believe that you're taking your time to come over here and talk to us. You're the principal architect at Microsoft. You were one of the first inventors of smart contracts way back in the day uh, for a little company called Sun Labs that was basically the Google of Web1. So when talking about smart contracts, you're not just some guy in your mom's basement who picked up a book on coding and decided to make an L1. You know what you're talking about. You know what you're doing. You understand the benefits of the flaws and the dangers. So I've got a bunch of questions to ask you, but let's start with the high level. A lot of our listeners know how to use a mouse and a keyboard and maybe not much beyond that. And we're guilty on this podcast of still using a lot of industry slang and jargon and nerd speak, but let's try and break this down as simply as possible. What is a smart contract? I'm glad you asked because so many people, even in the crypto space, you know, don't have a real clear idea. And it matters a lot because it smart contract predates blockchain and crypto by a lot. Smart contract is where software running on a computer is enforcing the terms of a contract like relationship between third parties. So eBay, PayPal, Venmo, Airbnb, Uber, Lyft, Amazon, all of those things, there's software, in this case, running at a trusted intermediary that is orchestrating the relationship between two strangers that are that are that are enabled to cooperate because they can safely engage in this thing through the smart contract that says okay you know here's the proposal okay you agreed to that ride okay they showed up okay it all happened you didn't dispute it so the payment happens right and that enabled this new class of business and this new class of enabling people to cooperate through computers that really did not exist before the idea of smart contracts kind of happened right? and, be and before computers were, were, were pervasive. And so that's really, really powerful. So it's kind of like an arbiter or an escrow service written into code. Is that the best way to yes. think of it? Exactly. Exactly. An escrow service that was in, in a program. And in fact, we've got one written in JavaScript. It's, you know, 23 lines of JavaScript. It's real, real straightforward. But an escrow service would be, in some sense, one of the simplest smart contracts if it was being enforced by software, right? And the key was by being able to have it be enforced by software, as opposed to like in house escrow, it was people involved is, you know, you didn't have to trust the people. You didn't have to interact with the people. You could do it anytime, day or night. And strangers could do it with, you know, could 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 uh, cooperate with each other, you know, orchestrated by this thing in the middle. Right? So Makes thousands sense. of people would buy things from thousands of other strangers, you know, on on auction sites like eBay um, that they weren't able to do, you know, before those sites rolled out. Interesting. Let's go back. When you when you say eBay, it makes me really think of Web2. 
you're a guy who's very, very ingrained in that community. You have, you know, a $300,000 a year job for the rest of your life, any place you want it, but you left all that to come work in web three. Why did you do that? And what was it that inspired you? So there were a couple of things. The big thing is, you know, smart contracts were already a trillion dollar business, right? With all these different companies, but all of them had this problem that there was a trusted intermediary, right? You had to, uh, when you auction stuff off, you had to rely on eBay's dispute resolution. You had to rely on PayPal to give you your money back if you didn't like it. You had to rely on, you know, on whatever, you know, if you were selling a concert ticket for a hot concert, you know, did it go to the promoter's uh, best buddy or did you actually sell it in a fair market? Hard to tell, right? Um, and and all of these things that you could get, you know, the, the reselling of tickets, you could get it for an NFL game or a concert, but you couldn't get it for the local high school or the local football game or, or something like that because those companies just didn't want to bother serving that market. And so it was very much a, a you know, very much a centralization around these trusted intermediaries that would then, you know, change the interface from time to time and leave people confused or or decide not to support something that they supported last month. So the thing that blockchain brings and that got me into this is, you know, blockchain, the gold standard of blockchain, right, is multiple computers in different jurisdictions controlled by different people, all voting to agree on what happened right? All coming to consensus about what happened. And what that means, because it requires agreement of computers in the US and Europe and Asia and Africa and everywhere else, right? No one human government or organization can compromise the integrity of execution. If I deployed software to run, it's going to do what the software says it's going to do. And there isn't, it's not some software running in Enron's back room where a shady character can slip in a few trades just to make their bottom line look a little better, right? And so that integrity means now you can deploy smart contracts without a trusted intermediary, right? You can be doing ticket resale or negotiation on house prices or whatever it is without people in the middle. You're going, you're able to be orchestrated directly by the rules of how you're supposed to cooperate with each other implemented in the software. And so, you know, escrow, the conditions are exact as to when funds are released and, you know, all those kinds of things. And so there's this nice, there's, there's this nice additional power of having smart contracts and smart contract businesses operating in an environment of extremely high integrity, which just enabled people not just to do, you know, eBay with neighbors that are kind of within shipping distance, but lots and lots of business with total strangers across the internet in different countries and different languages. Right. And that's really powerful. And that, you know, our, our our driving vision has always been one of the ways you get a more cooperative world is you enable more cooperation and smart contracts enable people to cooperate in ways they weren't able to before. And by making it possible to have more of those, we get a more cooperative world. And that's always been sort of our sort of driving goal that makes this exciting. So that was sort of the biggest reason that I got into Web3 is, is enabling more smart contracts so we get more cooperation. Love it. And now let's get your definition of what Web3 is versus Web2, just for those listening that may be like, huh? I thought they said they weren't going to use that nerd speak anymore. (laughs) That's right. You're going to hear a lot of it, but we will do our best to define it for you. That's right. That's right. So uh, Web3 is obviously a very loose 
uh, uh, term that covers a lot of territory, but the primary drivers for it are um, uh, decentralization, are, are having these scenarios where no one organization or government or, or what have you can uh, intervene in the you know, execution or cooperation or engagement or what have you. And there's implicit elements of, you know, people want control over their destiny. They want control over their information. They want control over their privacy. They want to be able to cooperate with who they want to be able to cooperate with. They want to be able to engage in business um, with people over long periods of time and across, you know, across borders, internationally, all those kinds of things. And so those are all sort of elements of Web3. It, it is, it is, you know, the web enabled people to share their thoughts, you know, connect with each other, um, uh, engage in social interaction across the internet. And this is getting back to that without there being, you know, um, uh, big institutions in the middle orchestrating exactly how they can do it and exactly how they should do it. Makes a lot of sense. As Ethereum is about to get into ETH 2.0 and its merge at the time of this recording, uh, all eyes on the crypto world are watching that. And we get a lot of questions saying, okay, all these other layer one smart contract platforms came out in 2017, 2018, and they branded themselves Ethereum killers, which clearly never took place. So is it going to be the inverse? Is Ethereum about to kill all these other smart contract platforms as it finally is, has a chance to scale? And I say, no, no, it won't because they're not all built the same and they're not all built for the same purpose. It makes sense from a developer standpoint to use one versus the other, depending on what you're building. So there's very use case specific smart contract platforms out there. So I would ask you at this time, tell us a little bit more about your vision for Agoric and what makes this special and different from an Ethereum or a Cardano or a Tezos, et cetera? Right. So, I mean, I think the big thing is programmability. The hardest thing to scale is, is the programmer base that can build this stuff, right? If we want smart contracts and smart contract businesses and you know, technology you know, for decentralized cooperation to be widespread, they've got to be built by not a few thousand developers, but a few million developers. Right. And, you know, there are at best, you know, 10,000 developers that can build on Ethereum because it's a weird programming language. It's a different model. It's hard. Um, it's got a lot of security hazards, all those kinds of things. Um, and to, to, to get this out much more broadly adopted, you need millions of programmers able to do that. The key thing in the Agoric platform is being able to program in a hardened version of JavaScript where there's already, you know, somewhere between 13 and 20 million, depending on on, on who you ask, but you know, 10 plus million developers already know JavaScript, right? So meet them where they're at. Enable the the people who are already building fan sites for bank for, 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 for sports and music centers, banking applications, travel applications, all those are currently being built in JavaScript. Enable those people to build smart contracts as well, and it's going to be a lot easier to start uh, uh, getting more of these mainstream use cases to benefit from, uh, uh, you know, from 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 these decentralization technologies. That makes sense. I understand the the idea behind it. There's been a lot of concern in this space about using JavaScript for smart contracts, as you mentioned. There are a lot of security problems with Ethereum, and their language solidity is kind of an offshoot, uh, an inspiration by JavaScript. But you mentioned in your question, 
there's a harden there's a hardening that you've done there. So is it the tool or is it the architect here that's really at the the foot of the issue of security? So there so there's actually you know there's three things that are, that are worth covering the the architecture, the language, and the framework. Um, a key element of JavaScript, and this is why we, we, you know, we joined the JavaScript Standards Committee 15 years ago. Mark Miller, our chief scientist, is on there, and then we've got five or six uh, uh, folks that go fairly regularly to these meetings to guide JavaScript. Right? And the reason is because it has, at its heart, a very important, you know, two very important elements of architecture that are fundamental problems in existing systems like Ethereum. You know, in, and the reason why we're able to harden it. So I'll do the simple one, which is reentrancy, right? Reentrancy is where you know uh, A calls B calls A calls B, you know, where it gets to reenter into A, and literally billions of dollars have been lost on Ethereum because it made a fundamental architecture decision to enable reentrancy. Right. And and that's one of those things where you can't change the language, you can't paper over it, you can't add tools. It's just an issue, a decision in the middle of, of in the heart of it that they made at the beginning that made simple things simple, but made hard things humanly impossible. Right. And so 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 we keep getting these reentrancy bugs that lose more and more money. And that's that and that's and that's a something that that you know, from my perspective, is largely insurmountable. We have battle tested many programs on Ethereum and lost a money, a lot of money doing so, but now they're pretty hardened and they could keep running forever and still serve their function. But but that's something that had to be addressed. JavaScript model, you know, the thing that people are familiar with in browsers and Node and so forth, it does not have reentrancy, right? It just avoids that issue. And by not allowing reentrancy, that large class of bugs just, just doesn't happen, right? You know, it just doesn't, it just goes away, right? Okay. But the other is, how do you authorize things? If an, as an accident of history, JavaScript is more securable than other programming languages, and, and so we have done so. We've driven features into the language to enable hardening it so I can take arbitrary malicious code, run it in a container, give it exactly the authority I want to give it, and that's the only thing it can do. So I can take someone's code, here's your purse, you can withdraw and deposit to your purse, but nothing else. You can't talk to the neighbors, you can't, you know, look at files on the disk, you can't go out to the network, you can't do anything except talk to this person. And the way that worked, I mean, the way it happened is, and a lot of people that are not technical will appreciate this, right? The language was standardized by an organization called ECMA, right? ECMA International Standards, something or other, right? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
the how it gets bound into the browser, how it gets wired up to the browser was standardized in the W3C standards group, the web consortium standards group. And you have never seen a security boundary as well defended as committees will defend their turf. Right. So you've got these two different committees and we're in charge of the language or we're in charge of what it can reach inside the browser. And so you've got this beautiful line and this beautiful separation that when Node came in, Node.js is the server side JavaScript. They had a different set of things that you could do. And that same beautiful line was preserved. So now JavaScript, the language runs in isolation and it has exactly and only the authority that I give. Now. JavaScript started being very malleable, right? You know, and that's why people, you know, have this memory from 10, 15 years ago of getting arbitrary security holes where, where people would change what was running in that beautiful kernel in the middle. What we added to the language, and it's in the standard JavaScript now, is the ability to lock that down. So I can't take string, and instead of saying print hello world, it scrapes your disk, looks for your files, grabs them, sends them to another country, and then prints hello world. Right, And changing printing of string to, to be able to use all that other authority used to be something you could do, you know, because this was designed, the core was designed to be malleable to adapt to various circumstances. But we now get to lock that down. So no, you can't change string, you know, print does print. And now in the node, you can access the file system. In the browser, you can access the DOM. In the MetaMask wallet, you can access this wallet principle. On the Agoric platform, you can, you know, you can access this, this contract person, all these kinds of things. We can now run that core engine of JavaScript, hardened JavaScript in all these different environments and actually run more safely than you can in other programming languages. So that's, you know, so it's been adopted for embedded systems, you know, with light bulbs and washing machines and dryers. There is a hardened JavaScript that runs inside of those now to be able to program that safely. It's being used in the next generation of MetaMask wallet, which is the number one wallet for Ethereum. And they're using it to be able to safely extend MetaMask to support other chains like Agoric because that ability to plug in a new component written in JavaScript and run it in a box where it only is allowed to talk to your account on Agoric, for example, means that they can do that kind of safe extension without worrying about arbitrary third-party JavaScript taking over your wallet, right? So, so Salesforce uses it in their... Um, uh, App Exchange, where the Salesforce platform is extensible in JavaScript safely because of this hardened JavaScript technology we all built. So, so it is definitely you know the next wave of where Web two apps um, will will harden and batten down the hatches and and and, and secure themselves. And it's uh, and it's of course the core of what we're enabling for doing smart contracts in Web three. Very cool. I didn't know any of that. So thank you for that explanation. I definitely feel a little bit better knowing uh, just the ins and outs and having a, a greater understanding. So amazing answer. So in the last 10 years, over $100 billion worth of crypto has been lost or stolen, specifically because of poor key management scams and hackers. Now, forget not your keys, not your crypto. No, software and hardware wallets both have the same vulnerability. It's that they have a single private key. That can be lost, it can be hacked, or simply misplaced. Now, my new sponsor, the Zengo Crypto Wallet, is a total game changer, and it brings wallet security to a whole new freaking level. You got to go check it out, okay? Zengo. They are an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability. 
leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, okay, which until now has only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions, this very key technology. Now, your Zengo account is secured by three factors, which makes recovery simple and stress-free. After all, with no private key to steal, your crypto assets and your NFTs are much more difficult to hack. Now, there's a reason why Zengo is able to claim itself as Web3's most secure wallet. Zengo has it all. They got multi-chain support. You could buy, you could trade, you could connect to Web3 applications, you could store your crypto, you could do it all with Zen. Okay, now Zengo has legendary in-app, 24-7 live support. And guess what? You're not just talking to some random bot. You're talking with real humans. And again, that's 24-7 live support. Now, Zengo is the most secure Web3 wallet, and it's the best place to keep your crypto, your NFTs, and your assets secure. It's also fully recoverable using their biometric recovery kit. So to get started at Zengo.com slash crypto and use the code crypto to get 20 bucks back, on your first purchase of $200 or more. So that is Z-E-N-G-O.com slash crypto, code crypto for 20 bucks back on your first purchase of 200 bucks or more. Terms and conditions apply. See the site for details. When we're talking about all the stuff that can be built on smart contracts, whether it's uh, a flourishing DeFi ecosystem or a bunch of end user things and product productivity tools. What are some of the things that you'd like to see built on Agoric? And aside from just being, you know, native to JavaScript developers, what's the next step to bring them onto the platform and get them to work? So in terms of what I would like to be built on Agoric, I mean, the first answer is everything. Right? <laughs> uh, so, so there's a staging to this. Um, you know, some of it will be first Web3 core stuff, but the, the the stuff that will start to face mainstream, I mean, you've you've heard of NFTs, there's been some amount of NFT craze or the, the creator economy or what have you. Early NFTs are, you know, interesting and suggestive. There's the art and there's autographs and that sort of thing. But the fundamental thing of the future in that world is partly the creator economy and, and partly it's engagement, increasing engagement. So So if we look at enabling bands and band fan clubs around you know music groups right i mean that's been, that's happened for years it, you know humans organize themselves into groups that celebrate various things and share various interests and they want to be they want to be able to increase their engagement and increase their participation in that area of interest whether it's a you know sports teams or bands or local groups or causes or what have you and and as soon as you start adding to any of those, the ability for third parties to extend it and be able to add money. So, you know, whether it's whether it's a local choir that's selling tickets and people want to be able to resell their tickets or organize raffles. Now you're talking about things that are worth money, things that people are adding on without it being, you know, the core band, choir, sports team, what have you doing it. And as soon as you're there, as soon as you start to have those two together, a blockchain adds value because now you can have high integrity of execution about the business that, that is being added to this to this fan club. So if I am, you know, a fan member of some band and the band wants to reward me with a chance at tickets for some concert, 
right? And now the more people participate, the higher their chances. But, you know, now I can't go. I want to be able to sell my place to someone else. Or I, if I if I prove that I went to the concert because I've got provable geolocation, I get a higher chance of getting a ticket for the next concert. Or there's, there's all these ways that the engagement with third parties increases. So, you know, there's all these ways, and, you know, I could go into long stories that I've heard from bands about how they would want to further not only engage their 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 fan base, but enable their fan base to grow itself, right? Enable fan clubs to organize a party at the bar at the concert in 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 you know in, in halftime or whatever it's called, right? Um, and and by organizing that party, you get a tiny little fraction of the bar tab, right? Well, now I've added self-organization and third-party organization with a little bit of money or a promise of money or that sort of thing, right? So as soon as you've got that, you want a blockchain. And all of that kind of innovation, all of those exciting band sites, the fancy whizzy sports sites, the, the things that let you figure out the schedule and see whether you can arrange travel and, and do you know um, uh, tailgating outside with organized groups and all that, all that's being written now in JavaScript, right? It's all web applications that people are writing in JavaScript. Um, having those millions of developers building all these local things to enhance their engagement with each other and with their 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 favorite group be something where they then have to go to you know the ten thousand uh, 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 developers currently building in blockchain and 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 work with them to try and get some enhancement. That's nuts. You want those people that already know what they want, that already know what they're doing, and are already building these applications to be able to go ahead and and grow the piece that enables them to have more commercial activity or enhance their cooperation or you know have gamification and raffles and lotteries and searches and geolocation and all those kinds of things. We want to enable them to do that directly, and that's what making this stuff programmable in JavaScript does. And that's you know, and that's where where and on the other side of it, as soon as we're able to engage those people to work on applications in Web3, they bring along their enthusiasm, their use cases, their UX expertise, their familiarity with the customer base, you know, their long history of transactions, their existing market, all those kinds of things. And so, you know, it's exciting to enable them because, you know, you unlock a whole new raft of applications. Yeah, which is really something that is desperately necessary. The people that are coding in Solidity and Ethereum or Rust on Near or Haskell on Cardano are literally like there's less than like 10,000 people yeah. on those other two, maybe 20,000 uh, Solidity developers. And they're all busy. Is the number they're all there. very busy, very expensive. If you want to build Adapt these days using blockchain, forget it. So mm -hmm. this is an amazing uh Entry, like it's like uh, the rivers become undammed finally, and it's now free <laughs> to flow in terms of development in crypto. But how do you now create more bridges to the rest of the Web3 ecosystem? What are some things that you want to integrate with to bring in stable coins and interoperability with other layer ones and everything else that's already been built in Web3? So, first, let me add a small bit of perspective on the number because people hear 10,000 and it sounds like a lot of people. There are more lawyers in Denver than there are solidity developers, right? <laughs> in Denver alone, Whoa. right? <laughs> that, that really puts it into perspective. <laughs> you know, if you want a contract, lawyers are more available and they're cheaper. <laughs> right? That's true, um, they're cheaper yeah, too. 
right? So, so that is not what we want. There are more JavaScript developers than there are lawyers in the world, right? You know, we want to enable lots more development. Okay, so the the interchain ecosystem, the Cosmos ecosystem, has this this thing called IBC, Inter Blockchain Communication Protocol, it, and sort of the heart of our overall approach to large scale network systems, distributed systems, turns out to align well with the Cosmos ecosystem. We didn't start attached to the Cosmos technology stack, but you know, when we finally encountered them and, and worked through what were we doing versus what were they doing, you know, we had found our people in the sense that they had the same model of independent, sovereign, chain, servers, applications, what have you, all loosely coupled, communicating asynchronously with each other. You know, so, so the world of network systems is islands of simple synchronous transactional programming, my bank server, my, my, my social media server, whatever it is, in a sea of asynchronous communication, messages going back and forth across the internet between these independent bastions of, some, of application. And that's fundamental to the world. That's fundamental to the wiring of networks. And there's a lot of blockchains, you know, Ethereum and all these Ethereum killers that are like, no, nope, the entire world is going to move as a single synchronous thing that everyone has to buy into. And that's just, you know, that's that that's a temporary fantasy at best. And 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 Ethereum is already, you know, last year was the big change where everyone realized that that was just not the way the world worked, right? Okay, so Cosmos has taken that as the core model from the beginning. And it was only after we were starting to work with them that we found out that it was not an accident that how the, the, the Cosmos architecture worked and how Agoric approach problems uh, were, 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 were so similar is that when they were first developing Cosmos, uh, Zaki Munyan, you know, they were, they, were, they were tackling these challenges and Zaki Munyan found a website of work that Mark Miller, the Agoric chief scientist, and, and myself and, and various others did in the 90s for how to do, you know, electronic commerce between large scale distributed systems. And this was elang.org, it's still up and it's still out there and it still has, you know, this vision and example code and contracts and that sort of thing. And that was their inspiration for how to do this. So inter-blockchain communication protocol brought together our vision how to do large-scale distributed systems with the best practices that, these, that, that, that this crypto team had on how blockchains were able to synchronize with each other or communicate with each other or verify each other. And so you end up with the, with, with, so we ended up with, with IBC. So we ended up collaborating with, you know, the, the, the folks that started Cosmos on the final definition and implementation and rollout of IBC. So that is core technology for enabling multiple chains to talk to each other without trusting bridges in the middle. So there's all these systems where you you, you know you, you hear about the connection from Ethereum to Solana or whatever, and, and then there's a breach or a or a, or a problem in the wormhole bridge or the you know whatever whatever bridge uh, uh, you know the bridge of the day had some security breach and the reason why that was an issue is because the bridge had to be trusted so you've got this you know giant city of applications all talking to each other and this tiny little tiny little rickety bridge being run by five people and six machines that is carrying all of the traffic from one city to the other right and when it breaks. You know, and it's unsurprising that it breaks because it is so much less robust and less decentralized than the two platforms on either end, 
you know, then 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 you lose a bunch, right? Now, those bridges are critical, right? It's critical to have communication and 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 bridging of assets between these chains. Um, you know, in the same way that, you know, you can have New York and Los Angeles and Tokyo and Paris, but if you couldn't have some amount of travel between them, we'd have a much poorer economy. So you really want these bridges, right? But they're rickety. IBC, Interblockchain Communication Protocol, makes it so that the chains on either side verify what, you know, the chain A, if it's talking to chain B, verifies that what B said was actually issued by that chain, right? It would, if it was talking to Ethereum, it'd be verifying the Ethereum proof. And that means the party that's carting the messages back and forth is not trusted about what is being said. All they're doing is taking a sealed message that was signed by the authorized party and delivering it. And if they fail to do so, someone else will pick up a copy and deliver it. And so you're not relying on them for anything except occasionally succeeding at doing their job, right? And that's really important because it makes the connection between these independent systems very robust, right? It's 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 like I, you know, any any number of carriers, you know, if this cell phone carrier isn't working, I pull out my other cell phone and I just make the call. I didn't trust them to tell you my message. I made sure I was talking to you and then we talked, right? And so and so that is a much more robust way of doing interchain commerce. That's now out and available. We help build that. And we're basically, you know, interchain. Uh, smart contracts first. So we can have smart contracts that are about the economy local on Agoric, or they can be controlling assets on other chains, right? They can be controlling a position in Ethereum, sorry, in, in Osmosis, or they can be scheduling execution on the Akash, which does job scheduling on block, uh, you know, on machines via blockchain, or it can be doing transactions against Juno or just working with other chains across the internet and, or across the interchain. And similarly, it can be using assets from those other chains. So now you start to really stitch together this interchain of things connected strongly with IBC. And then around the edges, you've got bridges, which aren't as strong, but they're still important as a temporary measure. So there are bridges to Ethereum, there are bridges to Solana, there are bridges to, 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 to Aave, et cetera, right? And that means we can bring assets over and bring them into this nice, strongly connected, robust world of interchain commerce. And so that, you know, so, so, key technologies, architecture for all of that, and applications that really can use um, these assets from these other chains is kind of all part of the picture. Now I'm really seeing the true power of Agoric. This is like a JavaScript-enabled cockpit that okay. will allow you to drive all the value that's built on the other 100-plus chains on the Cosmos ecosystem right now. Exactly. That's incredible. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And especially, you know, recently with IBC, we rolled out, you'll hear ICA, Interchain Accounts. Now, IBC, a little more here, IBC is like TCP, but for Web3, right? If people are familiar with TCP or HTTPS, right? This is just a network protocol for connecting one server to another. It's the connection layer, the, the, the you know, transport, ordering, authentication, the DAO of connection, as it were. And above that, you have the application layer, like HTTP, like video, like audio, you know, uh, voice over IP, all those kinds of things. And so IBC really was that low-level connection. And then above that, we start to get these application uh, 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 programming layers, and it's extensible. People can do can invent new ones and grow new ones for their new custom application. And so interchain accounts was a new one that rolled out relatively recently that allows 
one chain to act as if it is a user on the other chain. So I can, so the Agoric chain can have its own account on Osmosis and do trades on the Osmosis swap, or can have its own account on Juno and engage in transactions on Juno, or connect to Axelar and transfer assets from ETH, ETH over Axelar from Axelar over to Agoric, right? And so that means that any function that is available to a client now so that you know once interchain accounts is available on that chain becomes available to an Agoric smart contract over the bridge where an Agoric smart contract can act as a client for that service that's exactly running on over on that other chain. And vice versa, we can have an asset or an NFT or a you know multi-factor generational portfolio manager or something or other and make that accessible to some other chain and they can operate it remotely. So it's awesome. It seems like Cosmos is really the place to be, and some of the brightest minds in crypto are building there. So it's no surprise to hear that you're involved in that as well. And I could definitely see why they even referenced some of your previous work. So that's really exciting. In fact, I'm so excited about Cosmos. I'm going all the way to Medellin, Colombia at the end of this month to attend Cosmoverse and learn even more about what's building in this ecosystem. To me, it's one of the most exciting things in crypto today. So before we let you go, just a couple more questions. You know, who really inspires you in this crypto space? Um, you know, a man of your talent and experience, maybe you don't look up to anyone, but who do you consider your peers at least that motivate you to keep on going? So I'll mention three or four. How's that? Uh, so my co-founder, Mark Miller, obviously, he and I have worked together for literally decades, you know, and and done collaboration to produce technology and various startup companies and general open source ideas and stuff like that. So that's a continuing technical inspiration. Um, Zuko Wilcox, who started uh, uh, Zcash, right? He has, you know, there, there are so many ways in which he is a you know, seeded and driven zero knowledge technology and gotten that going. Zero knowledge is one of those things that, you know, that is just freaking crypto magic. And that's the future that will give us, you know, both privacy and off, you know, off chain uh, uh, applications that, that can still enable us to have high integrity execution and all those kinds of things. And he is both, you know, persevered and driven Zcash, but also, you know, just just help drive the overall ideas of the technology out across the world. And I look forward to a bunch of that leaking into Cosmos and and and, and coming into Agoric uh, over the next several years. Uh, Zaki Munyan, who you know, he's the one that drove the delivery of Cosmos. But you know, we work with him at Agoric, and 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 he's you know spans from you know business insights to how does all this weird zero knowledge and crypto stuff work to, you know, what's everyone doing and what's the best way to organize large scale systems? You know, I think a key element of all of these folks is they think about systems, right? So they've got deep technical expertise, they got, you know, a, a vision or a mission or a business, and they think about how do you have a system that accomplishes that? And how do you put to, how do you solve problems that are not local, but have some long-term impact? And I think that's how we will get a future system that works is some amount of local evolution. And then really thinking about how do we bring it out in a way that, 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 um, uh, you know, that, that people can absorb and that preserves the security and privacy properties that we would all like. Those are amazing answers. Yeah. Uh, Zuko has done so much. We're huge fans of zero knowledge proofs here. And yeah, I'm waiting to see a lot of that eke into the Cosmos ecosystem as well. And lastly, you know, we had a ton of amazing information shared in this episode. 
but give us one final word of wisdom in case this is someone's very first crypto podcast they're listening to and they want to get into the crypto space for the first time. What would you tell them? So I think the most important thing and the reason why I was so glad you started with what's a smart contract and you know what does blockchain bring to this is there is real you know, technical value and advancement here that will change the world, plus a lot of hype. Right. And a lot of excitement and, you know, whether whether it's, you know, going up or going down, someone's screaming about something really important. And the and and the important thing is to cut through that and find that nugget of real actual value that enables more human cooperation, more safety and, and that sort of thing The you know, I saw uh, uh, Bill Gates after the last downturn. He was like, oh, it's all crap. Right. And if you've heard Sturgeon's Law, Sturgeon's Law, Sturgeon was a science fiction author. And his phrase was 95% of everything is crap, right? 95% of the internet is crap. 95% of magazines is crap, all that sort of stuff. And when you're a little too far away, it looks like 100% is crap. And that's where, you know, people like Bill Gates were coming from. But the important thing is that 5% is what mattered, right? That 5% of advancing zero knowledge, of advancing formal methods, of advancing distributed system coordination, and of advancing Byzantine agreement coordination, those are of incalculable value to the human, to the future of humankind and the future of our, our, of our digital environment. And so as you come in, you know, pay attention. I mean, get excited about it by all means. It's some really exciting stuff. But the core of it is 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 that real value that is what the the future of of, of Web three is going to be built on. And um, you know, and that's that's a big chunk of of what keeps us as engineers going. Are you telling us that people who are holding NFTs to zero for the community might not make it? <laughs> That depends. Those NFTs could turn into an engagement thing, you know. Okay, and actually, so I'm glad you said that because even though it's about, even though it's funny, the other side of that is there's this huge, important technical advancement, right? But there also really is new tools for how humans organize, and NFTs, you know, is 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 a high value spear in that space, but enabling that creator economy, right? Enabling third world artists to suddenly have a way to get their stuff out there. Yeah, as, you know, as, as, as money sloshes around and rebalances to go, hey, this art is actually valuable, or hey, engaging with these people is interesting, they've got a story to tell, you're going to get some weird spikes in value. But if the result of this is we enable a whole new class of artists to be able to share stuff. Even once that settles down and it settles down at a hundredth the, the price or the value that people are had, suddenly we're on the, we're enabling, you know, hundreds of thousands of artists to be able to pursue that and contribute human value and contribute, you know, warmth to this world that we're living in, you know, in a way that wasn't possible before this technology. So, so those, you know, funky weird autographs and, you know, and, 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 and snarky gifts could well turn into, you know, how the creator economy, how art and music grow over time. Right. And we saw with music that, you know, there was this burst and then people started being able to record and publish their own songs. And it's 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 very similar kind of thing happening with art that's enabled by this NFT stuff. And so I don't think it'll be, you know, I personally am unlikely to buy a $100 million NFT because I personally aren't going to have $100 million to waste anytime soon. Um, but, um, uh, uh, but, but seeing art grow and be valuable and accessible over another, another area, I think that's, a, I think that's actually pretty wonderful. So. I would agree. Definitely. I'm not going to be buying any expensive NFTs anytime soon, but the platforms that enable them to be created 
that's where I'm looking for the value to accrue. Yep. Dean, thank you so much for spending the last 45 minutes with us. This has been a great conversation. You've got amazing energy and we can't wait to have you back on for some next big updates over there at Agoric. Where can people follow you to learn more until then? So certainly uh, agoric.com at the bottom, there's, you know, agoric.com, you know, Twitter and uh, Telegram. If you're engineering at all, come to Discord and, you know, start working on the product, right? Start working on building stuff and learning the platform, right? It, it is the future of, uh, of all this stuff will be built by, you know, developers that have not been programming in smart contracts yet. So. Beautiful. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back a little bit later this week with some more great content here at the Crypto 101 podcast. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.